0: Thank you for tuning in to the Ocean Currents podcast. This show was originally broadcast on February 8th, 2007 on KWMR, Community Radio of West Marin. All elephant seal sounds heard in this podcast are copyrighted to the artist Jay Salter. Welcome to Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock. And I bring this show to KWMR once a month where we dive into the big blue and bring the ocean to your community radio. We focus on what's happening out there on our blue planet to learn about discoveries, exploration, research, ocean policy, and ways for us land-based folks to get involved, especially in our national marine sanctuaries. I work for NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, and two days ago I had the great opportunity to visit it and participate on a monthly monitoring cruise where the Sanctuary conducts and studies the oceanographic conditions throughout the year and tracks seabirds and marine mammals. We left from Bodega Harbor at 6 a.m. on the sanctuary's, Sanctuary Program's newest research vessel, the Fulmar, a new 67-foot vessel that reaches speeds of 22 knots, and it was quite dark as we motored out. But as we motored out, we watched the sunrise above the coastal hills of West Marin and Sonoma County. And we encountered the typical coastal birds on the way out, such as cormorants, a few species of gulls, common myrrhs. And as we headed further offshore, we started to see more typical offshore species, such as shearwaters, kittiwakes, and rhinoceros auklets. And just as we began the first transect above Cordell Bank, lo and behold, what did we see, Sarah Allen?
1: I suspect you may have seen some elephant seals.
0: We saw an elephant seal, which brings me back to to Point Reyes and the topic for today and my guest today, Dr. Sarah Allen, a marine ecologist and science advisor for the Point Reyes National Seashore. Sarah has been studying pinnipeds for some years now and runs the Elephant Seal and Harbor Seal monitoring programs here in Point Reyes. Elephant seals are in full force out at the headlands right now. So so welcome, Sarah. Sarah. Thank you, Jenny, for asking me. Excellent. So we are in the peak of elephant seal season right now. Can you give us a little snapshot of what's going on out there?
1: It is the absolute peak. We just did a survey this week, and we had the highest numbers of the season. About 1,200, that was a direct count, and it's, it's all the animals that we count on shore. They're actually more for the population for the season, but that's a direct count. And of that, there were about, 650 females. So that gives you an idea of how large the population is. And it's spread all around Point Reyes Headlands. There are three main colonies, and then there are several smaller county uh, colonies. So I want to take a quick break here to actually let listeners hear
0: what it might sound like out at the headlands right now. So hold on real tight. up the coast for us why what happened with elephant seals why were they not on the beaches before the 1970s
1: Well, they were here. Historically, the whalers who used to hunt for whales also hunted seals for their blubber, and they used that blubber for cooking and heating oil. But by the mid-1800s and late 1800s, they were hunted out, and they were no longer at Point Reyes, and the colony was shrunk down to, or the population was shrunk down to a colony on Guadalupe Island, which is off of Baja, and that was less than a thousand animals. There's some controversy about how narrow that bottleneck was, that genetic bottleneck, but certainly less than a thousand animals were there. And from that narrow, small population, and with simple protection provided first by the Mexican government and then by the U.S. government, the current population expanded from. And it grew at rates of from 8 to 30 percent Per year, as colonies exploded and and they expanded and created new colonies along the coast, extending first from Baja, then to the Channel Islands in Southern California. San Miguel Island is the largest colony in the United States. It has probably thirty-five to fifty thousand elephant seals. And then there is a very large colony along Big Sur. This one interestingly enough, was established within three years. The first year, there were just a couple pups born, and then by the third year, there were 900 pups born. So that gives you an idea of how rapidly some of these colonies form. Point Reyes was established in around 82. The Farallons in 72, I believe. And Point Reyes has not grown at that fast a rate, but it certainly has grown at about 6 to 8% per year, mostly by... Animals that have migrated from nearby colonies, especially Nuevo and the Farallon Islands. So originally, these animals were hunted
0: for their blubber, their oil, correct?
1: That's correct. One bull elephant seal could yield about 20 to 25 gallons of cooking or, or heating oil. Heating oil. That was the, uh, one of the earlier non-renewable resources that we used. Mm,
0: that's nice. And so now they've, called, they've come back. And how do you think they recolonized? Are they just swimming around and looking for the parts of the coast that look like the type of habitat that they want to colonize and, and breed at?
1: Well, if you look at Point Reyes headlands, it's a big point sticking out in the ocean. So any animal that's migrating north is going to bump into it. So that's not surprising that they would discover Point Reyes. And indeed, many of the colonies are on locations like that, the Farallon Islands. Um, all of the islands that are established. Point Reyes is the northernmost breeding colony. There, There are a couple others north of here, but they're not very large and not very successful. And Point Reyes also was used initially by animals, young animals, immatures. And what you find is immature animals might come back to a site year after year to molt their fur, and then eventually they might establish that as a breeding colony. Often you'll see males in an area first, And then females will arrive later.
0: So actually, let's go through a year of an elephant seal because they are here a couple times throughout the year. And there's different animals coming out at different times. So let's start with this past November, December, when they
1: start coming to the shores of Point Reyes. Who's coming out um, first? In November is the beginning of the breeding season. And you're right, there are different ages and sexes throughout the year. In fact, in a well-established colony, you'll have elephant seals year-round. So starting in November, males, adult males, will, will arrive at these colonies. And because they have this dominance hierarchical breeding system, the males are play fighting or actual, indeed, fighting amongst themselves to establish dominance because the dominant males are the ones that are going to breed with the females. And then the females will arrive shortly thereafter. Actually, the earliest pup we have documented at Point Reyes was November 20th, but generally females start arriving in early December and they start pupping and they pup within a couple days of their arrival. And so the peak, as I said, was just last week. That's when we get the maximum number of females that we count on shore. So then, after you reach that peak, you're starting to see less and less animals. And by March, all of the adults are gone. And all that's left on the beach are these big, fat weaners. And the weaners are actually weaned at age 30 days. We call them weaners uh, because they're weaned pups, but they're just big, fat. They're living on their fat. When they're born, they weigh 60 pounds. When they're weaned, they weigh up to 300 pounds. And they're living on this fat before they eventually go to see themselves within about 30 days.
0: And while they're gaining all that weight, both the males and the females are losing a percentage of their weight while on the beaches spending energy on breeding and and feeding these pups.
1: That's one of the remarkable physiological facts of elephant seals, that they are fasting the whole time they are on shore. They don't go out and feed day to day. They're living off their body fat. And they'll be fasting. A female will fast for 30 days, a male up to three months while they're staying there for the entire breeding season. And you're not likely to see an alpha male come back more than one year at a time because it is so energetically costly for a male. But a female will come back year after year giving birth, and she'll do that for up to 20 years. The oldest female we recorded at Point Race was 22 years old.
0: Wow. It seems like such a strength. To, to have that reproductive success and that's um, maybe a good reason why they've come back at such a high rate here in Point Reyes. Just their physiology is, seems to tell them to reproduce.
1: Well, they, they are a remarkable animal all the way around. They They can fast for long periods. They're at sea for 80 to 90 percent of their life. They're the only animal that actually has two long migrations within a year. They migrate up to Alaska or west towards towards Hawaii, Japan, covering 12 to 14,000 miles in a single year. So after they go back to sea, they, that's where they're do- that's what they're doing is they're migrating to the feeding grounds. And predominantly males but not exclusively go up towards Alaska and the Kenai Peninsula and they're feeding along that continental margin. And the females are tend to m- go west in this north North Pacific Transition Zone, which is a a big current Area that's between two large water masses, and that area seems to concentrate prey. So they're feeding all along that that water mass. It's very amazing that we know this information because of new gadgetry that's been attached to seals. Prior to 10 years ago, we had not a clue what, wow. where or what they were doing at sea. Just 10 years ago, we started to learn where they're feeding. That's amazing. And all of this microtechnology is is indeed getting smaller and smaller so that it's put on now, Albatross and hummingbirds. Hummingbirds, that's amazing. So <clears throat> not only are we finding out where they're going
0: after they've been breeding and they're feeding, um, I understand there's probably some technology that might be telling us how deep they're going, how their depths that they dive to. What's, what are some of the average depths that elephant seals will spend time at?
1: The average depths, depths are about 1,000 feet, but they can dive to greater than a mile. One of the devices attached to mm-hmm. an animal actually imploded because of uh, the p- water pressure, because the animal dove so deep. But in general, they, they dive around 1,000 feet. They stay underwater on average about half an hour, 45 minutes, but the longest time is about an hour and a half. That's pretty amazing to think about
0: the pressure, because I think most of us, when we think of diving down to the bottom of a pool, we feel our ears pressure, the, e- the pressure on our ears. But how do they adapt to that pressure?
1: Partly is that they're, they're, they're. When we dive, the problem is the bends and nitrogen getting into our bloodstream, and they don't have that problem because they're storing their oxygen in their muscles and in other parts of their body, so they're not. They don't get the bends. Um, Another feature that they have is around their ear; they have some. special chambers for dealing with the pressures. Now, I'm not a physiologist, so I can't give you the specifics on, on this, but they are adapted for for deep diving in, in blood volume storage and oxygen storage.
0: So they pretty much expel all the air out of any um, canals or spaces in yes. their body, so yes. air doesn't compress. Yes, amazing. All right, so they're elephant seals that that's, that takes you through the breeding season, and then after a few months, some of them come back. What do they do after free, uh, feeding out
1: there? Actually, the juveniles st- the juveniles start arriving in March to molt their fur because each sex and age class molts at a different time. So the juveniles start coming on shore to molt in March into April May. The females return in May to molt, and then the males return to molt in June and July. And the molt's a big deal uh, for elephant seals. It's called a radical molt, and they actually molt their fur in big sheets. So they're of not skin like other fur. mammals that will shed continuously. This is an animal that does it all at once. It does it all at once. They stay on shore for about three weeks, and you'll you'll see big chunks of skin on the hull outside where this occurs. This is in great contrast to fur seals, and remember, fur seals depend on their fur for insulation at sea, and they'll lose individual hairs while they're at sea. They could be at sea for up to two years at a time. Elephant seals have to come on shore to mold, and there have been studies that show that the hair follicle actually grows faster when it's in sunlight and heat.
0: So is that why... Because of the hair
1: follicle growing, they will come ashore to do this catastrophic Yes, Yes, see. energetically, it's very costly. And again, oh. they're also, also fasting during that time. Okay. But they can drop their metabolic rate when they're on shore by just doing sleep apnea. By holding their breath, their blood pressure drops, their heart rate drops, and they can save up to 40% of their metabolic um, water or their metabolic, reduce their metabolic rate by about 48% when they're on shore. Wow. I wish we could learn some of these lessons from elephant well, seals. Well, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of studies into their physiology because it's trying to understand our own human physiology. It's so extraordinary. By understanding extremes of physiology, you can have a window of understanding into the physiology of other mammals. And, in fact, you see they're taking elephant seals into the lab and putting them in MRI chambers and analyses. Uh, They're doing dive uh, analyses to look at their brain and seeing what parts of the brain are functioning under these different behavior patterns. Mm -hmm. For those of you just tuning in or you've been listening, you're listening to Ocean
0: Currents. And my guest today is Dr. Sarah Allen from Point Reyes National Seashore. And if you haven't guessed it yet, we're talking about the largest mammals that come ashore here in Point Reyes, elephant, northern elephant seals. So, um, when going back to the breeding time of year, when they're coming out here, there's some really interesting dynamics that happen. There isn't just a pair bond or anything like that going on. There are some dominant bulls that come out, on, come onto shore, and there's lots of fighting going on. Can you describe a little bit why, why, why is this, why is this, and do they mate with just one female, or what's going on on,
1: on the shores there? Well mammals have all different sorts of mating systems and elephant seals have a one called a hierarchical dominant mating system where you have alpha males and they're the most likely breeders with the females and they're they fight for position next to the to where the females are they're not fighting over territory but they're fighting to be closer to the females and you'll have an alpha male and there may be some beta males around the the edges of the colony and then the One's way down the hierarchical uh, chain will be on the periphery or maybe adjacent beaches. And what's interesting in elephant seals, that hierarchical dominant system is what has forced this strong evolutionary uh, adapta- adaptations of big nose, Chest shield, which protects them from from when they're fighting, large canines and large size. All of those things are secondary sexual characteristics. Not the size, well, the size too. They're all geared towards the largest male being the most successful in mating. And you see this with many males. Tule I think, is is the terrestrial equivalent. And so those males fight for position, but. They don't spend a lot of time actually fighting. They spend a lot more time posturing, which I think is a window in all sorts of <laughs> mammal societies. It's a big show. It's a big show. And, and actually, the first thing they might do is just orient their body towards the rival that might be coming towards the females. And just by orienting themselves, that's enough of a threat to a, a younger male. If that doesn't work, then they'll raise themselves up, and then they show their chest shield and their size. And, and that should be enough. But if that's not enough, then they'll trumpet, and that trumpet is like no other sound. You, you picked up a bit of it on the tape. I think I might have some of it here. I'm going to play the sound and let me know if this is part of the,
0: that trumpeting sound.
1: that 's certainly the popping of a trumpet called a trumpet to be kind, but really it 's a popping noise. A friend of mine says it sounds like a single stroke diesel engine. <laughs> I want to mention by the way, these
0: sounds that i 've been playing they um, were per- permission was given to me by the the uh, sound author Jay Salter, and he is producing. A CD, a CD that will be coming out soon. Some of these sounds will be on the CD called Seal Sounding Elephant Seal Soundscapes at Ano Nuevo. And I'll give out information of how to get in touch with him um, towards the end of the show. But thank you, Jay, for lending me these sounds that are such high quality. So that's some of the trumpeting sounds or vocally. And does they'll it practice, too. They're practicing. They'll
1: practice underneath hard or against hard surfaces. For example, at Point Reyes, they'll go under the lifeboat station and, and practice against the timbers of the lifeboat station. It makes them sound lar- larger. Or they'll trumpet against a, a big rock face. So they, they're always practicing, especially the juvenile males. So it's kind of like the teen years,
0: lots of practicing going on of becoming uh, more attractive perhaps to females and during and the human species that is. So um, the females are they watching all this? Are they watching all these males and kind of taking notes along the way? Of who do who they think might be the best?
1: The females are more interested in each other and their pups and they, that's where they're putting their their effort. They sleep a lot, they nurse. They nuzzle their pups, and they fend off any ri- rival males that might try and sneak up on them because they don't come into estrus until they're ready to wean that pup at thir- around 30 days. So the males are kind of getting ready for all this breeding. while
0: the females are like, we're not even into that right now. We're working on taking care of this pup, getting her nourished. And so it's kind of interesting that the males are totally just ready to go, and the females are, are waiting until they are ready. Now, are there pups still around when they they breed? Right, um, that's right. The pups are right there. So there's there's a little danger in there.
1: These little fat wieners sitting around. Well, once the pup is wiener size, it's pretty hard to to injure it. Uh, they bounce more than they <laughs> squish. Uh, so you don't see mortality when a, very often it does happen on occasion. It's mortality is usually. Um, when a pup is very small, because elephant seal pups cannot swim at birth. Harbor seal pups can, elephant seal pups cannot. And so washout by storms is a big problem, and that's why this year has been extraordinary, because our weather's been so good. Mm-hmm. They pup, we've had up-to-date, very high pup survival. Or they get crushed in very crowded colonies. Um, by males. But that, that mortality by crushing is not a big issue for Point Reyes. It's more of an issue for a place like Ananuevo, which is really packed with uh, seals. I think there are probably eight or 9,000 elephant seals now at uh, Nuevo.
0: Wow, on the island. How about on the Farallon Islands? There's a colony out there. Is it pretty packed out there?
1: Well, the Farallons is an interesting colony because it started in 72 and then it peaked out about 10 years ago. And what happened is habitat was degraded. One, they sand flipped their sand away. Um, and elephant seals like to breed on sandy beaches. Um, it's a way of thermoregulating and sand flipping is one of those ways of thermoregulating. So they sand flipped the sand away on the Farallons. And also access to one of the major beaches was damaged or altered during the storms in 97, 95 and 97, and 98 during the El Nino years. So their access to one of the major breeding areas was was, uh, changed. They couldn't get there. That's interesting. And those animals shifted to Point Reyes. And we could see a bump in the numbers at Point Reyes when that happened. And so and at Point Reyes, it, they seem to be concentrated in certain areas. And now are they expanding their range in Point Reyes at, right now? Indeed they are. They are expanding from the main colony, which is on the front of the headlands, to adjacent beaches at Drake's Beach um, in an area called Chimney Rock Beach, and on South Beach, part of the Great Beach. So they're, they're filling in pocket beaches and they're forming these larger colonies. And this year... There was a female and a pup that was born about halfway between Chimney Rock and Drake's Beach. Oh, interesting. So what type of management implications does that leave for
0: the park if they're expanding their range and other habitats? And This is an area that's shared
1: with snowy plovers. That's right. Elephant seals or a male can be up to 5,000 pounds, and a snowy plover is about <laughs> 60 ounces. A little ping-pong ball. Yes. They do, they do feed on the... Uh, ectoparasites around elephant seals, though I think that's an interesting relationship. But yes, indeed, elephant seals would probably displace snowy plovers that are nesting on those beaches in the northern part of the Great Beach, and that would be concern to us. In fact, I've talked to the National Marine Fisheries Service because there are probably more elephant seals now than there were historically or prehistorically Prehistorically, they were considered limited to just islands because we would have had a major predator here to prevent them from being on these large stretches of sandy beaches. We know they were at the headlands, and those are inaccessible beaches, but those big sandy beaches like Limitour and Drake's and the Great Beach probably were not accessible because there would have been this large predator, and that predator was a grizzly bear. Mm -hmm. We don't have them now, and we're not likely to reintroduce them. That's right. So that's w- prob- one of the ways they're um, increasing. But in the water, they have some significant predators. Um, but Not th- enough to have an impact on the population growth, mm. though, because of the growth rates that we're seeing. But indeed, white sharks are a major predator, and they, they are able to prey primarily at these access points where seals come in to breed at these colonies. And these colonies are limited to only a few in the world. There are only a handful of places in the world where northern elephant seals come on shore to breed. So a white shark doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out where those places are. They're not going to find elephant seals in the wide open ocean, but they can see them where they're constrained to where they haul out on these these colonies. So would, it be, would there potentially be white sharks hovering
0: around the breeding colonies this time of year? Most of them are on the beaches, but some of them are coming into the surf.
1: Would they be around this time of year? Is yes, it more during they would the molt? And in fact, on the fairlands, this is when the highest mortality of seals occurs in shark attacks is is during the winter months, fall when there's a high uh, molt, uh, excuse me, juvenile haulout, and high um, when the elephant seals are weaned. Wow! But an adult seal, we've seen adult male seals which, which can be up to. 16, 18 feet long with large shark bites out of them.
0: Yeah, one time I was on the Farallons um, helping out some sanctuary research, and we were coming off the island on the crane. You know, you're just holding on. There's nothing holding you on. You're just holding on, and we're standing over the water, and right below me was a large male elephant seal carcass without a head. That was pretty reassuring, just thinking I'm hovering
1: above this water here, hoping that that crane would hold out. There was okay. an elephant seal skull or head found in a white shark that washed in at Limitor Beach about 10 years ago. Oh, my gosh. They're out there. It's a good way to disable your, your prey is by biting its head off. And in fact, uh, there was a study looked um, looking at where the uh, uh, seals are attacked and S- uh, elephant seals and hybrid seals have their heads bit off or their rear flippers bit off or the rear area because those are the ways that they – well, the rear flippers for propelling themselves through the water. So actually, uh, do, their, do their rear flippers help them much
0: as far as swimming goes? I thought they'd mainly use their four
1: flippers for swimming. That would be sea lions. Oh, sea lions. Elephant seals and hybrid seals primarily propel themselves through the water with their rear flippers in a kind of sculling motion of back and forth and their front flippers which are short and stubby are used for uh, kind of steering a little here or there but mm-hmm. not not for pr- that's not their primary means of propulsion they it's a pelvic's thrusting back and forth okay well we're um, coming up
0: to about halfway through the show let's listen to some more sounds before we take a break <laughs> And you're listening to KWMR, Point Reyes Station, and Bellinas. This is Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock, and my guest today is Dr. Sarah Allen. And I wanted to let you know the sounds you've been listening to are um, more generously um, allowed to be played today by Jay Salter, a sound recordist who records sounds and nature for visitor centers and natural history museums. This sound is part of an album that will be released in a few months for purchase, for purchase called Seal Sounding, Elephant Seal Soundscapes at Año Nuevo. You can find out more about the CD by calling J at 831-429-5836 or by website at www.aldersong.com. So thank you Jay for sharing these sounds. And we're going to listen to a few more and Sarah's going to tell us what we're listening to. <laughs> So, Sarah, what were some of the sounds that you were hearing in there? And we could play this track again if you want, to to go through them if you want.
1: Well, that high-pitched noise is the pups, and it sounds like a a monkey or a chimpanzee kind of squealing. That's the pups. And the warbling noise is a female vocalizing back to the pup. Uh, When she's agitated with a female nearby or a male, she might growl, um, which sounds like she's inhaling... Air through her nose and has a bad cold, and then that popping noise are the males that are trumpeting so there 's a real cacophony of noise that goes on on these colonies, which is in great contrast to a harbor seal colony or a sea lion colony. Very different noises that you hear on these these locations it's it's really quite remarkable
0: yeah this then this sound these sounds were recorded on Nuevo where um people go on tours and they take you right around and they're, you're right up close with them as opposed to the shores here at Point Reyes you're up a little bit higher, a little bit more protected I'd have to say as well because these animals can be um, quite aggressive. So what are, what are some tips you'd have if someone happened to be on the beach and they uh, encountered an elephant seal? What should they do?
1: Well it- It won't be unusual for you to encounter an elephant seal on some of these beaches, particularly this time of year. And you'd likely run into a male, a young male that doesn't have any status, and he's resting on shore. He wants to try again, especially when the female is coming to estrus. And they look like a log on the beach; they'll be pretty high up on the beach, and you might even stumble into them, not realizing what's there because they're resting, they're sleeping. Remember they're diving continuously when they're at sea, so when they come on shore, this is their break they're resting It's all about saving energy and and for for what the the real thing they want to do, which is mate. So when you come across one, try and keep about a hundred feet away. One, you don't want to alter their behavior, but two, you don't want to get bit by one. Because they they can be unpredictable, particularly the large males, the young males that are like teenagers. They have no status. You you are the lowest one on the totem pole for them. Or another uh, thing that might happen is you might come across a colony. Uh, we usually have signs up along the beaches where the colonies are, but you may run across a female with a pup in an odd place. In which case, you again should give them about a hundred foot distance so that you don't alter their behavior. Females can be more aggressive than males because they're defending their pups. So last year, this is interesting, last year in March,
0: so about the time when wieners are are trying to make their way out, I was hiking down around Coast Camp area and it was a beautiful sunny day and all of a sudden an elephant seal rolls out of the surf and I felt so bad because it obviously didn't look like a very good swimmer. It just basically rolled on out of the beach and and hauled itself up. Is that probably a wiener trying to learn how to swim, or it just seemed to be so
1: far away from the colony? Well, it depends on the, the size of the animal. Starting in March, that's when you get the juveniles coming back to molt, and they molt in odd places, too. They usually mold at the main colony, but ones that are yearlings that were born the previous year and are now coming back to molt can show up in places like Coast Camp. And remember what I said, how new colonies get formed? Well, that's how they get formed. So you may have a juvenile that hauls out there and is, is going to go through the molt, and it looks like a good place to it because it's a nice sandy beach. But if it gets disturbed enough, then it, it won't stay and it'll move on to another beach. Uh-huh. So when weaners are weaned, they
0: are no longer feeding off their moms. How do they learn to swim and how do they learn to feed since they don't get that education from their
1: parents? No, they don't. But, you know, they're pretty smart. They steal milk um, from other females. That's one way they feed. And you'll get what the, we call super weaners or tick weaners because they're so fat they can't use their, rear, their flippers to move. Um, but once they are actually no females around, and they're starting to live off that body fat. They're getting hungry. And they start going in the water. What we've noted at, at Point Reyes is they start going in the water at night and then come back during the day. And a lot of animals in the marine system feed at night because prey comes to the surface at night. And either they're hardwired to understand that or they learn that. They start that sort of schedule of, of feeding at night and then resting on shore, and within 30 days they're at sea. We don't know how they learn. We we can just assume that one, they're probably hardwired to do that, and then that first year is very high mortality. You can have up to 50% mortality that first year of of those um, those animals, and after that, mortality drops way down because they have figured out where to feed or they followed individuals. Now I was talking to a researcher and and he felt that these animals are were quite individual in their feeding habits until he started overlaying the tracks, the satellite tag tracks of them. And he said, lo and behold, they're right on top of each other. So he's wondering if there indeed is not a lot of exchange of the animals when, when they're at sea. To me, that makes a lot of sense because one, they're so social when they're on shore. Why can't they be social when they're at sea? Even though they're feeding not on schooling fish, they're feeding on, on more solitary fish like sharks and skates and rays but why can't they feed in the same area? And that's what he thinks now. One time at Point Race Headlands, we had something like 50 juveniles arrive on a beach at the same time. This, happened, this beach happened to be a parking lot, so, so we had to deal with it. But in my mind, it was, it was interesting because they all figured it out at once. Why that? why all at once. Hmm. There had to be some form of communication amongst them to arrive in the same place at the same time. Interesting. So they they're
0: eating some ra- rather large
1: fish. Yes, sharp, large skate, fish, squid. Squid is a big one particularly for females. And what I I find interesting, the most of these fish or prey are not what you would find in your plates. Maybe squid, but skates, rays, hagfish are really not some ratfish. Ratfish too, right? Yes. These these are things that are found in the deep ocean at depths of more than a mile deep or um, up along the continental shelf of the Kenai Peninsula. They also feed on rockfish, but these are not things that they're in competition with commercial fishermen or sport fishermen with, such as um, California sea lions and harbor seals are constantly in fisheries interactions, but elephant seals are not. And they're feeding on these animals. Um, there was a study done looking at their dive patterns, again with these these gadgets, that they can look at the dive patterns, and they identified four or five different dive patterns. One is the animals go straight to the bottom and stay on the bottom. And so they're probably... Uh, digging around where rocks, where rockfish are. And I think that big nose is used for a lot more than just trumpeting. It's a big muscle. And it could be that they're pushing rocks or pushing bubbles into crevices, forcing fish out. And this was seen with Weddell seals down in Antarctica where they Ah. blew bubbles into the um, pack ice, forcing fish out of the crevices. And I think that that that's a possibility. It's pure speculation, but that big nose... It's got to be used more than just trumpeting, and it indeed has a lot of scrapes and, and scars around the end, not from fighting. Wow. Has anyone put a camera
0: on an elephant seal to see what they're eating? Because one of the things I'm fascinated by is the the prey they're eating are all really big, and I'd love to see this this predator-prey interaction with some of these big animals.
1: Well, they're starting to, but it's hard, one, because the depths are so deep, to to film mm-hmm. and to capture it you have to have a light and a different light source or infrared to mm-hmm. use i've seen it on sperm whales but that was a big camera and i don't think they've gotten the gadgetry small enough to do it with elephant seals and be effective but i would expect it'll be very shortly that they get to that level.
0: wow that'll be amazing so would that be the males only that would be flipping around rocks with their nose since they have that big proboscis? Or do females have a pretty big
1: point nose as well? They have a pretty big, nose, a pretty as big well. nose. Females are speculated to feed mostly on squid or, or hake um, because they're feeding more in the water column and not on the bottom. There are females that feed on the bottom, uh, but the studies that have been done by the researchers out of UC Santa Cruz show females mostly going into this transition zone between currents. And what one researcher described to me, they, they attach a mechanism that – or a gadget that – I have to say gadget because I, I don't really know the not, name of it. It's a, it's a temperature sensor. And so they can measure real-time temperature of the water. And what they found is a female might be swimming along, and then she'll hit a change in temperature, which would be a, equivalent to a, um, a transition j- zone between two water masses. And she goes down the face of it like she's going down a cliff. And she goes down about 700 feet or 1,000 feet and then stops. So she's not even at the bottom. She's in the midwater zone, and she's feeding there. And the species that are more likely to be concentrated are squid in that that location. So they're speculating that they're feeding mostly on squid. Do they
0: sense that temperature with their nose area, their whiskers? Because with all that
1: fat, all that blubber, it would be kind of hard to tell the temperature difference, don't you think? Well, thermal regulation is a big deal for marine mammals because otherwise they're they're going to freeze or overheat on shore. So there's several places where they have a countercurrent heat exchange system. Their big flipper, their rear flippers are probably the most important one for heat exchange, but also probably around the muzzle or or maybe the mouth even.
0: So they're not totally insulated. They have some the countercurrent yes. adaptation to be able to sense the temperature. They're amazing animals. Uh, uh, absolutely amazing. So, um What is Point Reyes focusing on as far as studying elephant seals out here? What are some of the the questions you have about the population here that you've been trying to focus on?
1: Well, we have a long-term monitoring program that's tracking the population growth and expansion since it was established. And we do this in coordination with all the other colonies. So we tag about 300 pups born each year as it occurs at these other colonies, and we exchange information about Uh, tagged in in individuals and from tagging these individuals we understand one about the survivorship and how long they survive and uh, what mortality occurs in the population we also understand where the colonies new colonies might form and the sort of exchange that occurs between colonies so for example we were able to determine the source populations for the population of Point Reyes, and it was primarily from the Farallon Islands initially. Then it became more important from Ananuevo, and now now more animals are coming not from Ananuevo but from this new area down in San Simeon. Animals from Point Reyes go to other places, too, and, and one of the longest uh, range uh, that we got feedback was an elephant seal that showed up in the Komandorsky Islands in Russia, and that was a researcher, a Russian researcher, that told us about this animal that had that had been tagged at Point Reyes as a pup and had showed up on the Komandorsky Islands for three years in a row. Wow!
0: So, are you doing some tagging? Um, yes. What type of tags? These are plastic tags. These are not tags that transmit. No, to these are right?
1: these are little plastic tags. They're about the size of my thumb, and we put them in the webbing between the digits of the rear flipper. And these tags are called cattle ear tags because they're used for for bovines uh, in their ears, but we've applied them uh, to elephant seals and harbor seals. They're not a permanent tag, but they have a pretty good life uh, span. And then we also put a little dye mark on the animals so that we can track them through a breeding season. And we do this so we can track alpha males and beta males within a colony, and again, we've been able to see movement between colonies within the breeding season. So males at Point Re- Reyes might go down to San Simeon and hang out there for a couple of days and then come back to Point Reyes within the breeding season. And they can travel very rapidly between locations. From these satellite tag studies, uh, researchers from San Miguel Island tracked uh, males going from San Miguel to Alaska in two weeks. Swimming continuously, so they could go down to Sam Simeon in a day and a half, between Point Reyes and the Fairlands within three hours. So um, I take it
0: these tags are color coded so that scientists can communicate about who's showing up on which
1: beach. Yes, so Point Reyes is pink, <laughs> and the the Fairlands is also pink because. Early on, researchers thought that the Fairlands would be the, the center of the colony, and Point Reyes was just a, a little subpopulation to the Fairlands. but it's actually been the reverse. On Nueva is green, and down in the Channel Islands, they have two different colors, yellow and red. And white is this San Simeon population area, and Big so, Sur San Simeon.
0: Oh, okay. So are there scientists at each of these colonies that are basically trying to identify all the tags, and and is there some type of exchange that you can all communicate through to find out who's where?
1: Well, thank God for email, yes. (laughs) we can. I I can't believe I actually said thank God for email, but it's true. (laughs) Uh, Email is our way of exchanging information right now, and I send out a weekly report to the other researchers talking about our numbers, and then if I run across a really unusual tagged animal, I'll say, hey, I just ran across this animal. Tell me about it. Then at the end of the season, we try and send out... That information. Plus, we send it to the National Marine Fisheries Service because they're the agency responsible for protection of marine mammals under the Marine Mammal Protection Act. So we I don't go out there without my permit. I right. have a permit from the National Marine Fisheries Service to study the seals. Mm-hmm. And with that, it authorizes me to tag them to put these dye marks. The dye is interesting. It's Lady Clairol, blue-black. Lady Clarol gives it to us free. They don't like to publicize about it, but they are very generous in giving us this dye, and it lasts beautifully for till the animals molt in the summer. Hmm. It's hard to imagine they actually have a market for that type of dye outside of elephant seals, to tell you the
0: truth. Oh, it's a stunning color. Oh, lovely. So, actually, is there an elephant seal that has come up to Jenner recently?
1: Oh, we call him R1, R for Russian River and 1 because he's the only one. And this male's been coming back there for about... Four years now, he came as a, an immature, and now I think he's probably almost a bull. And bulls are about eight or nine years old. So he's an interesting male. He was attacking harbor seals, which occur at the Russian river mouth. He attacked a kayaker, Ooh. and or a kayak, a kayaker on a kayak. And now that he's matured, though, in a bull, he doesn't, he doesn't chase the harbor seals so much. He just lies around. So he's all alone. It's interesting. You'll see individual—it's not just males, but it seems to be males that show up on these odd beaches. And it's perhaps that they get imprinted on a beach which has got harbor seals on it. So he's a little confused about the species that he belongs with. Normally, we'd expect him to be at Point Reyes or the Fairlands, But he's hauling out at the right time, which is during the breeding season and during the molt, but he's not hauling out at the right place. This is also a possibility of a, a, a colony site.
0: Interesting. It'll be
1: interesting there to have, monitor that. There have been other individuals there, but he's the most consistent. I went and put a flipper tag in him so we know it's the same individual year after year. And he comes in molts so molt after molt. But he is uh, the only one.
0: Aw, well, it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next few years.
1: What I think's interesting is he is not aggressive towards the harbor seals anymore. He was when he was a younger teenager.
0: (laughs) Hey, man, accept me. I want to be with you guys. can kind of hear it. So um, here at Point Reyes, there's some great opportunities for people to observe this amazing behavior. And right now sounds like the best time to do it. What would you recommend for visitors and locals
1: to experience elephant seals right now? Well, there's several places where you can see them, and I think some of the best places it's, is this Chimney Rock North District, uh, North Drake's Beach site. It's an overlook. You're probably about a hundred feet away from the animals, and you're looking down on them, so you can really see them well. There's a lot of fighting there. Last week, we counted over 300 seals, and that included about 150 females. It's a and, so that's that's a great spot if you want to see them. Even closer, you can go down to the lifeboat station, and on Sundays they have a show. You can get inside out of the cold weather, and if it's raining, that's even nicer. And they have a little sh- uh, slideshow on elephant seals, and you can hear them trumpeting under the le- lifeboat station, or they'll come up on the ramp. Now, these are the loser males, which we call, <laughs> but you can see them very, very closely within 10, 15 feet. Uh, because you're in the parking lot looking down on them on the ramp, which is unusual. You can also, uh, on minus tides, hike from Drake's Beach and see them along the beach going towards uh, Point Reyes Headlands. That's another good place because, as I said, individual animals are show, show up on many of the beaches. But remember to keep your distance uh, so that you don't disturb them. Remember that everything about them is, is saving their energy and for your protection. Of course.
0: And if people are interested in um, volunteering for the park, the park has a wonderful docent program as well. you want to give a little bit of information about that?
1: The docent program is really terrific. We started it about 10 years ago because there were so many people that were drawn to these elephant seals. And when you see them, you want to get close. They're just fascinating. There are few places in the world where you see this much life activity of a large wild animal. So we set up the docent program to educate the public, but also to serve as a kind of a barrier between the public and the elephant seals, so that people didn't try to get too close. And we have a regular training program that starts in October or November. We have about 50 docents, and they work on the weekends and holidays to talk to you about elephant seals, answer your questions, and... And also to protect the seals. It's a terrific program, and some of the docents that are working at Point Reyes used to work at Ana Nuevo, and they were so enthralled by the whole thing. At Ananuevo, when they moved up to the Bay Area, they volunteered up here. They've been doing it for 10 years. Uh, they're really dedicated and knowledgeable. They know a lot more about elephant seals than I do because they trained down at Ananuevo, which was a really exciting place to study elephant seals. Much of what we know about elephant seals occurred at, at either Ananuevo or San Miguel Island because of these really, really extraordinary colonies. Hmm.
0: So, if people are interested, they can. Um, well, on the weekends, there's a bus, uh, there's a shuttle service, so they would drive out to Drake's Beach parking lot, and then there's a shuttle that goes to Chimney Rock.
1: That's correct. As well, yes.
0: So that's on the weekends, and then weekdays, it's you can drive to Chimney Rock and observe on your own, but there won't be docents there on the weekdays.
1: No, there won't be. Right? But one nice thing about Point Reyes in contrast to is you can go any time. You're not restricted right. to going out there and spending as long as you want. You're not forced to be into, because there's so many visitors at Nuevo, they have to do the people choice. management. And we're not forced in that position up here. Another terrific place to see elephant seals is San Simeon. And as I said, this is a newer colony. You pull into the parking lot right off of Highway 1, and there they are. I know. You almost have to watch yourself in the parking lot that you're not going to hit an elephant seal. It is a most extraordinary colony.
0: Well, also one of the benefits of coming to Point Reyes is because this is also gray whale migration time, so folks can come out and visit and see gray whales migrating as well. It's pretty amazing. There's not very many places on the planet where you can go to observe this wildlife. It's it's pretty stunning that it's all right here. It's what made Point Reyes quite attractive to me.
1: Well, and there are other species of pinnipeds around the headlands, too. You can see California sea lions, stellar sea lions, and harbor seals, and uh, And on occasion, a northern fur seal. So there's a lot, a lot of activity at Point Reyes Headlands. It's it is a peninsula. It's almost like an island. It's almost like the Fairlands because you have seabirds nesting. You have a lot of this wildness of the ocean because you're sticking out in the ocean. And you've got peregrine falcons diving around. It's it's really quite an extraordinary
0: place. we are so lucky. So our harbor seal season will be coming up in a couple months. So we trade off with the elephant seals, and harbor seals then have a breeding season. And you lead um, a docent program for that as well. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how people might be, be able to get involved with the harbor seal program?
1: Well, we have a, a program for monitoring harbor seals, just as we do for elephant seals. And that starts... The training starts in early March, so if you're interested in that, you can check out the Point Reyes National Seashore website, or you can call me up at the Park Service at 415-464-5187, or email me, Sarah underscore Allen at NPS.gov. And we do a three-day training and field work. There's in class training and then uh, several visits in the field. We have a mentoring program. We've been doing this for more than 10 years, and we have volunteers who've been doing it for more than 10 years who are mentors to uh, new surveyors. And then NOAA Sanctuaries Program, the Fairlands National Sanctuary Association, has a docent program where they intervene with the public and educate the public about harbor seals. And that's a terrific program. We work together in studying and protecting these populations. And one of the nice things about Point Reyes, again, is that it's got one of the largest harbor seal populations in the state. There are about 25% of the population of harbor seals of California occur at Point Reyes. And so it's a great opportunity to see them. And you can just drive along Highway 1 in Bolinas and see them hauled out right there. And that's where one of the NOAA sites... Is a, a docent program
0: that intervention is so key. The education so many people don't realize that uh, just taking a step too much too much too closer to too much closer to the seals can really hurt them and and hurt their behavior and, and their energy loss. So it's nice to hear that these folks are working together to educate those of us. So we just have a couple more minutes, and Sarah, I'm kind of dying to know from all your field research if you have a favorite. Elephant seal story from your time in the field? Something you may have observed or, um,
1: I don't know, retreated from? <laughs> Maybe. It, there are lots <laughs> of wonderful stories, but I think the most extraordinary is if you ever see a birth of any animal, but to see a birth of an elephant seal is really quite extraordinary and. It happens faster than you realize. Sometimes the gulls know before you do. Um, I've seen many births, and every one is just as exciting as the last. And I've only seen one stillbirth. So mortality at birth is is quite rare, certainly at Point Reyes. And pups can be born head first or tail first. It it doesn't matter because they're born on land. And when the pup is thrust out, I mean, it just explodes out of the female And the amniotic sac breaks, and the first thing that female does is spin around and start nosing and warbling at the pup, and the pup gasps (laughs) and starts that mew sound. It's really quite extraordinary, and they're glistening from the amniotic fluid, and then the gulls are right in there trying to go after the the placenta and the amniotic sac, and the female is so protective – it's really quite extraordinary.
0: That's wonderful. You probably get to witness that every year to remind you of your uh, love for
1: those animals. I think for, to see a birth of any animal is a most extraordinary opportunity. And you can go there and hang out for three hours this time of year, and you'll probably see a birth. Wow. And that's the other thing is there, there's so many females there, pupping, that your opportunities to see a birth are much higher. I took a, a group out on a field trip two weeks ago. And, and I said, I promise you, I'll find a birth. I'll find a female who's going to give birth. And it took an hour and a half, but there, there it was. We saw birth. Nice. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for
0: um, being a regular on KWMR. Um, it was wonderful to have you here today. And for those of you that haven't made the trip out to the headlands, I highly encourage it. This time of year is just astounding. There's so much going on and you'll be wowed by whatever behavior you might be able to witness. Um, I wanted to leave you with one announcement of um, an opportunity to get out on the water and see gray whales. Um, Farallon's Marine Sanctuary Association is hosting a whale watch on April 29th. And you can go to farallons.org or call 415-561-6625 to sign up to get out to see some gray whales that might be going through in April, April 29th. So we've been listening to Ocean Currents. My name is Jennifer Stock, and Sarah Allen has been my guest. And you will be able to catch an archive show or podcast of this show at cordellbank.noaa.gov in a week or so as I am able to uh, get this file up there. So
1: thank you for joining us today.